our series called Navigating Life. We're looking at the wisdom literature of the Bible, of which the book of Job is one of those. We're going to look at all 42 chapters today. Do you have several hours? <clears throat> Whether you are in Burundi or Mexico, where we just had a short-term team return from, or in your home, in your neighborhood, we cannot escape pain and hardship. And Job, next to Jesus, is the Olympian of pain. So we're going to learn from Job this morning. All right, now, I need for you to exercise your imagination. I would like us to imagine that we are in a theater. And in this theater, we're seated in the front row of the balcony. And in front of you is a, is a large curtain that opens and closes, like you see in most theaters. And in front of the curtain is this large screen that goes down and goes back up. And on that screen, you'll be able to see and hear some otherworldly events. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But understand, behind the curtain is Job and the entire cast of characters. And they cannot see or hear what happens in front of the curtain. Now, the drama is about to begin. The house lights come down. And out walks the narrator. And this is what we hear. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Now, already we have some questions. Where is us? Who is Job? Who wrote this book? When was it written? Questions that we do not have answers to. But we can answer one question. What was Job like? Nowhere else in Scripture do you see a constellation of words like blameless, a man of complete integrity, fearing God, staying away from evil. In, in, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, Ezekiel says the three righteous, most righteous men who ever lived are Noah, Daniel, and Job. Job had seven sons, three daughters. Seven plus three equals ten. Seven, three, and ten are numerical symbols of completeness. Who Job was on the outside matched who he was on the inside. His abundance of possessions matched his abundance of character. The narrator goes on. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. So, Job had a regular practice. He would intercede for his children just in case they would turn and curse God, which means they would not worship God. They would consider God unworthy of worship. Now, listen, we have bumped into the dominant theme of the book of Job. The question is not, will Job's children turn away from God? The question is, will Job turn away from God and consider God unworthy of worship? The narrator pushes a button. He walks off stage, and down comes this large screen. 
in front of the curtain. Remember, Job and his cast of character, they're behind the curtain. They cannot see or hear what you are about to. And on this screen, this is what happens. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, how do you sound like Satan? I'm not doing a very good job. Lord, yes, but Job has gone. Good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. <clears throat> so, Satan believes that Job has this fake faith, this sham of a faith. He, he, he believes in God because of all that God has given him. Did you notice that God is the one who brings up Job's name first. God is the one who picks the fight with Satan. And God says, okay, all right. Do what you wish. Don't touch him physically, but do what you wish. And so the screen goes up and the curtain opens. And we see Job and his friends for the very first time. Now, I won't show it to you on the screen, but chapter 1, verse 13. A messenger comes to, to Job and says, Job, some raiders came and they, they killed all of your servants and they took all of your livestock. And then from another region, another servant come, another messenger comes and says, Job, fire from heaven, whatever that was, came down and killed all of your servants and all of your livestock. And then in a wink of an eye, another messenger shows up from another region and says, Job, some raiders came and they, they took all of your livestock and they killed all of your servants. And now we who are seated in the front row of the balcony, we're on the edge of their seat thinking, how bad can it get? And then this. Another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And all of us in the theater, we have the wind taken out of us. What will Job do now? Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. All pictures, symbols of grieving. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And we're just amazed. We want to stand up and clap and say, Job, this is amazing what he's done. But we realize something, as probably Job realized. 
you know, the enemy is very crafty. The enemy knows that maybe the best time to strike is when we have had a spiritual victory, when we have had some type of success in our lives. The the curtain closes and the screen comes back down and now it's seen too. And Satan replied to the Lord back in this setting. Who knows why God allows Satan into this angelic setting? We get, we get the idea that Satan is a troublemaker. He has a twisted bent against God and people. And here he shows his twisted bent again. Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health. And he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan. But spare his life. You can't take his life, but you can touch his life. This cosmic screen goes up. The curtain opens again. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken potter as he sat among the ashes. His life has fallen apart. And now from head to foot, he's covered with boils. And as we read deeper into the book, deeper into the chapters to come, these are the things we hear about his physical ailment. Not just boils, but shriveled skin, emaciated body, swollen eyes, excessive itching, aching body, diarrhea, and worst of all, bad breath. It's there. How bad can it get? We're kind of like on the edge. How bad can this be? And then it gets worse. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. The one person in his life who should be by his side. Job, give up on God. How can you worship a God who apparently doesn't love you? Or how can you worship a God who may love you, but apparently is unable to help you? And all of us in the, in the theater, we're thinking, yeah, what are you thinking, lady? We're being critical of her. And then we remember something, that she, along with her husband, lived behind the curtain. She has not heard anything said. She has not seen anything said on that giant screen. They've lived without any reason. They don't know. She doesn't know. Now what does Job do? Left to himself. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. And we just want to stand up and cheer and clap and say, Job is one. God is one. Satan has lost. And we reach for our coats and we get ready to leave as the curtain closes. And then somebody says, this is a extended intermission. There is more to come. In fact, there is much, much more to come. The curtain opens as we sit back down. And there is Job. 
lying there in his emotional and physical pain and agony, struggling, not knowing the end of his story. He's in the middle of his story. He's never read chapter 42. And to make things worse, he's never read chapters 1 and 2. And to to complicate matters for us in the audience, after chapter 2, verse 7, Satan is never mentioned again for the rest of the book, which leaves us with a monumental question. What are we to think of God? What is Job to think of God? Really, for the rest of the the story, it's it's not a story about pain and suffering and hardship. It's a story about faith. And what will Job do? Why, God? Why why would you do this to me, your servant Job? I have tried to serve you with integrity. I've been blameless. And now this. Why would you do this to me? Some years ago, a Bible teacher by the name of Chuck Swindoll, maybe you know the name, He's a Bible teacher on the radio also. And he had a broadcast on the problem of pain. And this one day, he ended the broadcast this way. Why? 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 And then the the host of the program came on and said, tune in tomorrow. (laughs) Why? Maybe you have met people this way. Or maybe you have been this person at times in your life where they just seem to have God all figured out, the doings and dealings of God all figured out with their pet theologies. They've got an answer for why God does what he does. And and they can explain all of life's curveballs to you. For 35 chapters... Can I say it again? For 35 chapters, Job goes back and forth with his three friends and eventually a fourth friend. His three friends begin so well with him. They come alongside. They sit with him in his misery. For seven days, they don't say a word. And then they can't contain it any longer. They've got the answer why. They've got God all boxed up. And they understand who God is. And they say things like this to Job. Job, You must have done something terribly wrong because God would not let this happen to a good person. And we just want to jump out of our seats and say, yes, he would. Job is proof. He has not sinned. He has not done anything wrong. He is a good person. And for 35 chapters, Job and his friends go back and forth, back and forth. It's like walking through deep weeds, reading it if you've read it. Back and forth, back and forth. And listen to this. For 35 chapters, God is silent. God never says a word. He's absent, never shows up. What I love about the book of Job is how real and honest Job gets how he, he just expresses his emotion from the guts. He is authentic. He's real and he's raw. And, and, and at times, he will, he will say things. You think, can you say things like that to God? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. 
For example, he'll say things like this. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Can you say that to God? Or he'll say things like this. I long for the years gone by when God took care of me, when he lit up the way before me and I walked safely through the darkness. When I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. Those were the days. Have you ever said that to yourself? Those were the days when I was in my prime and life was so good. And now Job has no answer. He has no reason for what he's going through. What is all this about? In a very real sense, this is your story and my story because we've never read chapter 42 in our own lives and we don't know chapter 1 and 2 in our own lives. We feel it. Why? And every now and then, Job will give us spikes of hope. He'll say things like this. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with him. To whom else can I turn? I'm going to turn back to God. And he'll say things like this. But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. I know God must have a plan. I know he must know what I don't know. I know he must see what I don't see. I am going to trust in him. And so Job, back and forth, rants and he rages. And then he turns to God and then he rants and rages some, some more. And as much as he blows the whistle and calls foul on God, he never leaves the field of play. Somebody once said, look, when life goes south, when life gets miserable, it is far better to be irate than it is to be resigned. 35 chapters. And then, chapter 38, God shows up. And he's mad at Job's friends. And he's got a lesson for Job. Chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. We can't read all of it. But I want to read a sampling of what God says to Job. And this is how it goes. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, Job, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? Job, can you... Shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear Can, and, and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind, Job? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods? In their chapter 29, have you given the horse its strength or clothed its neck with a flowing mane? Did you give it the ability to leap like a locust? Its majestic snorting is terrifying. Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights to make its nest? Into chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Job, 
Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And then Job replied to the Lord, I, this is Job speaking, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand, and I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And then God essentially says, Job, I'm not done. Brace yourself like a man, Job, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Will you, direct, will you discredit my justice and, and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Can you catch a crocodile with a hook? This is chapter 41. Can you catch a crocodile with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? No, it's useless to try to capture it. The hunter who attempts it will be knocked down. And since no one dares to disturb it, who then can stand up to me? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. That's a sampling. Four chapters of God directing his thoughts to Job. Now, in none of those words do you hear God giving a reason an explanation to Job? In none of those words do you hear an apology. <laughs> but Job is broken. He is broken. Something happens to his heart. And these are Job's words. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak, and I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job is relenting. He is, he is kicking himself. He's stepping back. I was wrong. I was wrong. And all of us in the audience watching this, now we, begin, we begin to get a sense of some lessons we can learn from Job as it relates to our own hardships. What are your hardships? Here are a couple of lessons. One, there is order in the universe, and we cannot generalize from our personal pain that, is, that it is otherwise. Behind the apparent randomness of this world, there is the existence of God. And the same God who makes the sun rise and the stars set in place and the earth spin and gives flight to the hawk and the eagle, we are under his watchful eye also. Just as God can be trusted with the physical world, he can be trusted with the moral world and with your life, and with my life. I think that's one thing this story is telling us. The other one is this. God will use trials to build spiritual depth into our lives that could not come about otherwise. Job is taken to a, a richer, deeper place in his spiritual life as the result of this dark valley experience. Are you in a dark valley right now? God sees what you don't, and he knows what you don't. And his greatest desire is for you to go deep with him, to turn toward him, which is eventually what God led Job to do. 
So here we are in the front row of the balcony. We have a sense that this drama is coming to a close. But we're thinking, you know, it's one thing to look at Job's life, but it's another thing to think about my own life. And this is what occurs to us. You and I, we, have what Job did not have. We have the entire story of God. We have the entire word of God of which Job is a part. And in that word of God, we have the story of God in the flesh coming to us, Jesus himself, to which Job points. And Jesus, the ultimate Job, suffers and experiences poverty and experiences pain and experiences persecution and eventually is killed on the cross. That's God in the flesh. And if ever, ever you wonder, does God really love me? If all else is taken away, what we must do is look at the cross. Jesus said a number of things from the cross, but one of the things he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took our sin and our punishment onto the cross but also what he took onto the cross is the abandonment of his father. And he took the abandonment of his father onto the cross so that you and I would never have to experience a day or a moment where we think we are abandoned by God because we are not. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now it comes time for us to take our coats and to walk out. We're kind of dazzled by the whole story we've just seen, all of the things we've just heard. But one thing keeps kind of rolling around in our minds that we heard in this story. And it's when Job says this, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. Somehow, in some way, Job has a sense that one day God will make all things right. And one day, for you and me, Jesus will come again. And he's going to make all things right. And whatever you're going through now, whatever ashes you may be sitting in now, he will bring beauty out of those ashes. We just need to hang in there and trust him and look to him. And that is the end of Job. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Job that's included in the Bible. It's a mess. It's a mess, like our lives sometimes. But we live behind the curtain. And so we must trust your loving hand that you know what we don't, you see what we don't, you can be trusted. And one day, Jesus will walk upon this earth and make all things right. And between this day and that day, would you help each one of us in this room to be faithful, to look to you,
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.